Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, October 26th. There's been some significant Trump on trial news in the last two days, notably the gag order yesterday for Trump continuing to target an assistant to the judge in the New York business fraud case. The judge said Trump was putting the assistant at risk of physical violence. Uh, And also yesterday, an architect of the election denial plot in Congress, as you probably heard, became Speaker of the House. Meanwhile, it's probably no surprise to listeners of the show that the conservative legal movement in the United States is stronger than it's ever been. There is, of course, the conservative majority on the Supreme Court stacked up during Donald Trump's tenure. But one man has played a far more significant role in pushing the American judiciary to the right, and he's done it far less publicly. His name is Leonard Leo. And his reach extends far beyond the Supreme Court. Decades ago, he knew he would have to go deeper than just those nine justices. And he decided that jurists need to decide the right cases brought by the right lawyers, lawyers on the right, and heard by the right lower court judges. And all that would head up to a conservative Supreme Court. And then there's his activism at the state court level. So he's the subject of a new podcast called We Don't Talk About Leonard. And who else could have uncovered such a fascinating, covert political operation but our former WNYC colleagues, Ilya Meritz and Andrea Bernstein, uh, known to you probably for their WNYC podcast series, Trump, Inc. Ilya is currently a fellow at the Neiman Foundation at Harvard, and Andrea is reporting at ProPublica. She's also the author of American Oligarchs, the Kushners, the Trumps, and the Marriage of Money and power. And they, along with ProPublica's Andy Kroll, are the co host of the podcast We Don't Talk About Leonard from ProPublica and our On the Media. Ilya, Andrea, welcome back to the show to talk about your series and uh, the Trump and House Speaker news. Hey there. Great to talk to you. Hi, Brian. Brian. Great to be here. Um, so, starting with Leonard Leo, we've talked plenty on this show about the Federalist Society so instrumental in putting forward a list of conservative judges for Republican presidents charged with filling an empty seat. What's Leonard Leo's connection to the Federalist Society? So Leonard Leo uh, was an early staffer of the Federalist Society. Uh, The Federalist Society started out in the 80s as sort of a place for conservative legal minds to gather. And Leonard Leo was in law school at the time Uh, but became an early uh, fan of the Federalist Society and and right out of law school, almost, uh, maybe a a few years later, he did a a couple of things in between, including getting to know Clarence Thomas at the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals and uh, working on Clarence Thomas's confirmation. But very early on in his career, Leonard Leo went to work at the Federalist Society and was the first person to begin to expand the organization past a kind of a a college or, excuse me, a a law school uh, organization of sort of legal scholars and legal minds to an organization of lawyers. And he worked there for 30 years. Uh, His title, uh, he's still the co-chair, but his title when he left the staff position was executive vice president. Uh, But everybody sort of understood him as the major force behind the organization. Um, I want to play a clip from 2007 when Leonard Leo turns his attention to state Supreme Courts 
This is from your podcast. Here's Leo around that time at a Federalist Society forum. State Supreme Courts and state courts are an incredibly important part of the American jurisprudential scene. In fact, one can very ably argue, I think, that state Supreme Courts are in many cases where the rubber really meets the road. Leo travels around, making speeches and moderating forums. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 95 to 98 percent of all litigation takes place in the state courts. And I dare say that many of you in this room, when you're practicing law, may end up trying or arguing one of your most important cases, if not your most important case, before a state Supreme Court or in some part of the state court system. Leonard Leo from around 2007. And Ilya, the premise of the series, the, the title of the series, We Don't Talk About Leonard, is that he's kind of behind the scenes. Was it rare to even find that clip of him kind of saying the quiet part out loud? I'm really glad you played that clip because I think it actually kind of illustrates his genius, which is he really takes the time to understand the whole system. There's a lot of people in Washington who think that power comes with a title, and it can, but the Leonard Leo model of power is to really understand systems, uh, to think about history on a long arc, and to play a patient game. So Leonard Leo has been a conservative judicial activist for more than 30 years. Uh, There was certainly a long time in the wilderness, or, or a long time we could say when uh, when one might question whether his strategy was bearing fruit. But what we hear in that clip from 2007 is he's saying, look at state courts. State courts are where the vast majority of these important matters are being decided. And when you open the newspaper, if you read about a court at all, it's probably the Supreme Court. Uh, and that strategy of sort of paying attention to where things really happen and understanding systems, that kind of radiated out across the legal system. I spent a lot of time looking at state attorney general offices. Again, that's that's an office that maybe you know your state attorney general in the state you live in, uh, but you don't necessarily pay attention to, to state attorneys general all over, and yet they're hugely influential players. And uh, And so, you know, we come up to today and realize that Leonard Leo has managed to build influence in a lot of places that a lot of people just weren't paying attention to. Andrea and I and Andy, our co-reporter, we tended, we kind of thought about Leonard Leo as almost a Robert Moses kind of figure, you know, the man who built many of the highways and parks around New York. He didn't have a fancy title. And for decades, many, many, many New Yorkers didn't know who he was. It was really only, uh, you know, once some of the more bruising fights had been played out that his name started to kind of be out there. And, and, and that, I think, is what is beginning to happen now with Leonard Leo. So, yes, that's a roundabout way of answering your question. A lot of people <laughs> didn't want to talk about Leonard Leo on the record with us, and that is why we called this series that. I will say a lot of people were willing to talk on background, off the record, in some kind of more limited circumstances, and that really helped us to build this picture of him. Andrea, is there a liberal or progressive Leonard Leo out there somewhere? Because people might say whether... Leo and the Federalist Society and the judges they helped to promote to the bench um, are heroes or villains to any individual American. Um, you know, they have a right to argue their side, to try to get their side uh, more empowered. So is there something sort of dark or dirty about this, or is this just politics 
as it's played at the judiciary level? And are there liberal or progressive Leonard Leos out there, too? So we um, spoke to Caroline Fredrickson, who was the head of the American Constitutional Society, which is a sort of uh, progressive left, you know, more left group that set itself up as a sort of liberal response to the uh, Federalist Society. And she said, no, that we are, we are court worshipers. Now, this is, this is her saying this, uh, but we blew it. We did not plan for this. We did not sort of look at this structurally. Uh, she said that she and her allies sort of thought about the court in terms of principles rather than the sort of brass knuckle ways to, to get power that, that Leonard Leo did. And one of the things that was striking to us is the ways in which, you know, Leonard Leo, uh, you know, some of your listeners, I'm sure, have read some of the ProPublica series about Clarence Thomas and uh, Justice Samuel Alito taking trips with these very wealthy donors. Well, one of the things that we learned is that Leo was really the broker for those trips. And it wasn't that he just concerned himself with U.S. Supreme Court justices. He concerned himself personally with state Supreme Court justices. I know that you did several segments about the recent Supreme Court race in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Dan Kelly, who ran as the, the conservative candidate, uh, is somebody who's been very close to Leonard Leo, and Leo has intervened personally to advance his career. Or just yesterday, North Carolina's state legislature drew another set of election maps that could give Republicans and Democrats in that state now have seven each congressional seats. Uh, and the belief is that these new maps will give Republicans a three-seat advantage. Well, as you know, that is potentially dispositive. That is a direct result of the work of Leonard Leo and his allies who put lots and lots of money into North Carolina dark money to push the court in a more conservative and more partisan direction. And uh, just uh, back in March, and this is, uh, uh, comes up in episode three of, uh, of our podcast, We Don't Talk About Leonard, uh, the Supreme Court in North Carolina did something extraordinary, which is they heard a case and ultimately reversed an election mapping decision that the same court had just made in a Democratic iteration. And that is the fruit of the kind of work that Leonard Leo has been doing. So it spreads not just to the Supreme Court, but into state courts, and as we see in a case like this, into politics. By the and, way, and I, if I could Ilya, just jump in that, on that point, hmm. just, you know, Leonard Leo has not gotten, he has not gotten in on election denialism per se, right? He hasn't said Donald Trump won the election or anything like that. But being involved in the way that he is in state courts and in these questions about how congressional districts are drawn, there is a real um, threat to democracy there. There's, there are real questions that, that people ought to know about, and for the most part, they don't. By the way, Ilya, um, was the title, We Don't Talk About Leonard, taken from Encantos, We Don't Talk About Bruno? <laughs> um, no, but it came up in an early discussion, and um, those of us like myself who don't have children kind of scratched their heads, but uh, I gather that's a very popular movie. Uh, yeah. So in our last few minutes, I want to turn to the Trump news. And many people know that the two of you, uh, besides doing the Trump Inc. podcast with WNYC, then went on to do a lot of January 6th related reporting for NPR. And there was this $10,000 fine that the New York um, business fraud case judge, Judge Angoran, leveled against Trump yesterday for threatening what the judge felt was threatening 
putting at risk the physical safety potentially of the judge's clerk. And and I just want to read a couple of these Trump quotes, things that he has said or posted about this clerk, uh, because I wonder if if Trump might not, not even be stoking some anti-Semitism out there with this, uh, because that clerk is Jewish. She has an obviously Jewish name. And the the original Trump quote um, was with a photo of the clerk with Chuck Schumer and Trump, uh, this, this post said, Schumer's girlfriend, and named her name, is running this case against me. How disgraceful. This case should be dismissed immediately. So he didn't just say that she was biased because she knows Chuck Schumer. Um, and we don't know if she knows Chuck Schumer, or if she just posed with her senator from New York when they were in the same room one time. But, but, but he didn't just say that. He said that she's running the case. And then again yesterday, when he came out of the courtroom, he said, this rogue judge, a Trump hater, the only one that hates Trump more is his associate up there. The person that works with him, she's screaming into his ear almost every time we ask a question. A disgrace. It's a disgrace. So he's he's aiming at her, Andrea, and saying she's not only against him, she's this shady person who happens to have a very Jewish name, calling the shots rather than the judge calling the shots. So I'll, I'll let people draw their own conclusions about the anti-Semitism there. I, you know, it's part and parcel of this ar- um, argument that Trump has been making since the beginning of this case, uh, which is that uh, Tish James is uh, politically motivated to do this uh, because she's a Democrat. And the judge has sort of ruled that um, argument out of bounds uh, early on in the case. Uh, so uh, this does seem to be fitting with that, that Trump is trying to argue, uh, which is an argument that he's making. You know, I've been in court with him a number of times during the, the course of this trial. And, you know, he comes and he sits. And let me tell you that a lot of the testimony, uh, Michael Cohen accepted, but a lot of it's pretty boring. Spreadsheets, you're looking at, you know, the sort of uh, lawyers say, let me draw your attention to line number 948 and, you know, this sheet of this spreadsheet. <laughs> and he is watching that. But... What he is doing is he is going out into the hallway and he's saying his thing about how it's so unfair to him. He can't be out in the campaign, which he could be. Uh, And he's getting all of this sort of media attention. So this is sort of part of that. It's part of the, the way he's trying to use the trial to boost his image as a sort of political partisan victim. But the judge called him out. He said, you cannot, uh, attack my staff. Uh, he put a gag order on Trump for that. Uh, Trump, it found out, had or had uh, maintained a post about her on his website. So last Friday, the judge fined Trump $5,000. And then this week, Trump said something kind of cute. Yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, he said, well, the person sitting next to the judge is partisan. The AP reported it. Uh, the judge saw it like during the course of the testimony. Uh, and he did something unusual. He put Trump on the stand, swore him in, and Trump said, I wasn't talking about her. I was talking about Michael Cohen. And the judge, in effect, said, I don't believe you. I am giving you a $10,000 fine, which was double the previous fine. If you do it again, you face consequences. The judge has already said that Trump faces possible jail time if he keeps it up. So uh, this is something that we'll have to keep watching. Trump, I guess, thought he could, you know, say something kind of cute and get away with it. And the judge said, no, 
uh, and we will see what happens from here. Ilya, I know you have to jump to your next thing. I have one closing question, which I'll give to Andrea, but Ilya Merritt, it's always great, great to talk to you. Thank you very much. And Andrea, on the new Speaker of the House, I'm going to read a New York Times headline uh, about Mike Johnson. It says, Johnson played a leading role in effort to overturn 2020 election. And it goes on to say, Representative Mike Johnson recruited House Republicans to back a lawsuit to overturn the results. And he was a key architect of his party's objections to certifying President Biden's victory. So I guess the question here is, what if we wind up in the same position again um, with, let's say, Biden beating Trump next year and Trump making up uh, a rigged election claim? But this time, Mr. Johnson is the Speaker of the House and the House has to certify the election like they did on January 6th, or really it took them till January 7th. How much of a threat? I mean, it's, you know, certainly a frightening scenario that the litmus test for getting to be Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives seems to be that you have to have um, to say, uh, contra all evidence, that the 2020 election was stolen. Uh, the one candidate who didn't was knocked out by Trump. So that is the, the sad situation we are in. I mean, I can't say we didn't see it coming. You see who's gained power in the House, and and it is that faction. And I would add, uh, you know, just sort of bring it full circle to Leonard Leo, one of the things that we talk about uh, in our podcast is that the Republicans and Leonard Leo in particular have focused so much on these state courts, which very much could be in a position 2024 of making a ruling for Republican or Democrat. And uh, that is uh, a scenario that we should enter with with wide eyes wide open. That is where the country is heading, sadly. Now, there is opposition. There is a resistance. Uh, and, you know, we sort of we do talk about that in the podcast. So I don't want to say there isn't. Uh, but it is certainly alarming. And, you know, all the people who study democracy uh, certainly say that looking at who gains power in your representative bodies uh, is something that you need to pay close attention to. Andrea Bernstein and Ilya Meritz. Now with a new series with ProPublica and on the media called We Don't Talk About Leonard. Thanks for talking about Leonard <laughs> with us, Andrea. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time. <music>